Thank you for your patience and for allowing me to express the things that I felt. And I'm not changing directions. I'm going on by the help of God in the direction that I feel. I'm going to read today from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, and beginning with verse 35. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth the laborers into his harvest. I was praying some time back for a group of pastors that I love and these men I have preached for and I want God to bless them. But as I was praying, God touched my heart and I prayed a very fervent prayer. God, would you reveal to the pastor the revival that's already working in their community? And I don't often title my sermons, but they wanted a title today, and I had thought before, a formula for revival. And if you'll open your hearts, I believe God will reveal that formula to you today. Father, thank you for everything that we felt. Thank you for that choir song. Because without the truth of that song, many of us would not be here today. Maybe none of us, because none of us have much righteousness to boast of. But we can sure boast a long time about your grace and the power of your blood and love that is beyond description. Oh, God. Glory to God. You thought we were worth saving, God. You thought there was something in us. You saw something that no one else saw. You saw something that most of us didn't even see. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Folks, I can't help it right now. I just feel like I want to praise God for His grace. I want to praise Him for the mercy that's been extended. Father, we love you. And we're grateful today for the mercy that's beyond our comprehension. We're grateful for mercy that reached down to us when we had nothing to offer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I was so ungodly, but you've changed. You've cleansed us. You've healed us. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Glory to God. Glory to God. 
give the Lord a hand clap before you're seated. You may be seated. Before I move directly into what I see in these verses, I would like to continue some of the things that I was talking about earlier because I, I feel like, for whatever reason, I just feel like they're important. And if you can get it, if you can understand it, it isn't because it's come through me However, I don't boast of myself. I can tell you that I've lived a lot of life. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've had to correct myself on numerous occasions. And I've had to check myself with the Word of God and make sure that I was right. And I think that I would be very right in these things that I would say. You know, it's very easy to develop a, uh, a hero mentality. This is just a part of being human. When people do something that we like or that might thrill us, uh, we're drawn to that individual and if, if we allow ourselves, we want to become like them. But God made us all unique individuals. We know that up until this time, there are no two people on earth that have the same fingerprints. And they tell me that there's something in our eyes that is just as unique as our fingerprints. So God made us every one individuals. And God knew us at the moment of our conception God saw us at that moment before a finger had begun to develop or a limb or any of our features, nothing developed there, the moment of conception. God saw the finished product and knew what we were gonna be and God blessed us to be unique and different in life. I wouldn't have time to deal with all of the ramifications of that. But saying simply, accepting the way God created us, I'm talking about maybe personality, attitude, intellect, and so forth. God made us different for a reason. We're unique, very wondrously made, wonderfully made. And so we're individuals. I didn't grow up with a lot of confidence. I shied from audiences. I still do. I will be glad when this day is over and I'll really begin to enjoy camp meeting. I don't even know why God called me because I would have been one of the least likely prospects and when I got into ministry, I would hear preachers preach. Preachers would step to the pulpit and they were so positive and they were so upbeat and 
you know, they just were blessed with charisma. And you could tell that, that uh, the audience took to them. And so it was easy for me without planning. It wasn't something I planned. It was easy for me to want to be like those people. I desired to be open and have the personality and the approach to ministry that they had. But you know, when I tried that, it didn't work. It didn't work because it wasn't me. I finally came to the conclusion that no matter what I think about me, God thought enough about me to call me to preach just like I was, you know, that, that that's God's business. He didn't bring me before a panel or a congregation, try me out and see how I worked. He called me because he saw me. And it was only when I really realized that God called me as I was, personality-wise and so forth, and that if I would open myself and allow God to work through that, that my ministry could be effective. And it was when I came to grips with the fact that I'm me and I'm going to be me the rest of my life in some ways. Now all of us can make improvements and hopefully I have in life. But I, said, I, I guess the point I'm making is you don't have to be like anybody else to be effective in the kingdom of God. And every ministry has its value and its place. And every ministry will touch lives according to the will and the purpose of God. I could talk about some of these things for a good while today. I don't know that they would make much difference. I want to go to the scripture again from the ninth chapter of the book of Matthew. In these few verses, 35 through 38, is the formula for revival. And I don't know that I could say that every community or every city would be uh, open to this formula because Jesus did say to his disciples, if you go into a place and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and go on. There are evidently and obviously some places that are not very open to the gospel. But Jesus had performed miracles and when he had been able to minister healing to people, the multitudes began to gather because in those days and times, they didn't have ready access to medical clinics, to hospitals, to doctors, to over-the-counter medications and so forth. And the, uh, the medical profession in those days, though they were probably pretty, pretty good for their day, were very, uh, very basic and missing out on a lot of knowledge and understanding. And people had very few places to go if they were hurting, if they had a disease, the blind, whatever, they had very few places to go. And when word got around that Jesus had performed miracles, 
the multitudes gathered because they all had needs and he got busy and began to minister to them. The Bible said that he healed every sickness and every disease among them. I'm not dealing with anything new here. You've heard this probably many times. But they came because they had needs. He ministered to them because he came to minister to the needy. Paul told Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose. But here is the key to revival after he had ministered. And in that multitude of people, there were all manners of sicknesses, of diseases, of mental issues, of pains created or caused by fellow men. There were hurting people of all kinds. And the Bible said Jesus healed every one of them. They came because they had a need. And God ministered to that need. And it was here that he said, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. There's another similar situation in the fourth chapter of John where Jesus ministered to the woman at the well. A lady who by the standards even of that day was probably not looked upon with much respect and yet Jesus spent valuable time ministering to that lady because she had no place else to go. She had tried marriage, it didn't work. She tried divorce courts, that didn't work. She gave up on the conventional efforts of the day and decided to just live life the way it was in misery and bound by her problems. And Jesus took an individual that would be considered worthless by society and spent time with her and told her everything about her life. And when she understood that he was more than just a stranger passing through, she ran to the city and told the folks there, come and see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. But you see, before he even told her, before he revealed to her his knowledge of her sins and her unrighteousness, he said, if you had asked of me, I'd give you water to drink wherein you'd never thirst again. Never thirst again. There's no reason for our services to be dead and dry. There's no reason for us not having sinners in our altars and folks praying through. There is no reason, and I understand that sometimes there are droughts that come for whatever reason, but I'm telling you folks, the formula for revival is to find out who God targeted and then set your sights on the same ones that God targeted. 
And when I preach today, I am not preaching that God doesn't care about folks that have life together. But even some of those who seem to be the most successful in life are the most wounded in heart because of the sins they've committed are sins that have been committed against them. But I'm telling you, if we will change our targets and we'll let God paint the targets where He wants them to be, then the doors of revival will open. Glory to God. You know, attitude and spirit has created so much havoc in our apostolic ranks. One of the most important features of life is attitude. Your attitude can destroy you or it can make you. Your concept of ministry is going to have everything in the world to do with how effective you are. Ministry is not all about lifting us up. Ministry is not all about giving us a platform to have our say. Ministry is not all about pride and ego and Ministries getting down to the depths of humanity. I'm here today not for my sake, but I'm here because of the kingdom of God. I promise you, I'm not here today because of pride or I'm not here because I want to be in a position like this. I feel honored to be here. But if I, can't, if I can't touch your hearts or allow God to touch your hearts through my ministry, there's nothing to boast of. You see, our attitude, the reason we're engaged in ministry, the reason that we want to be involved in ministry has everything to do with how effective we're going to be in ministry. You know, we can appeal to crowds, but we're, we're small stuff when it comes to appealing to crowds. Hollywood's learned a long time ago. The entertainment industry and sports world has learned a long time ago how to appeal to crowds. If that's all we're doing, if that's all we're in it for, the feedback of appealing to folks and making, making me look good, folks, it's all about touching the heart of humanity, letting folks know if they'll drink of the water that he has, they'll never thirst again. It's rescuing a soul that is speeding to hell and an eternity without God. It's ignoring a drug addict that'll go on and on in a miserable life, slowly destroying himself and turning the other way. Ministry is all about caring about what God cared about. When Jesus was ministering to Peter 
after his crucifixion and resurrection, after Peter's boldness had gotten him in trouble again, you see, it was right after he had had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon. He said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Just a short while after that, Jesus began to tell the disciples what was going to happen to him, that he was going to die. And Peter spoke up and said, Not so, Not on my watch. They're not going to get you while I'm here and while I have a sword. They're not going to get you. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You know, just a short while, you're blessed. God's revealed this to you now. He says, get behind me, Satan. What's he talking about? Nothing's going to get in the way of my kingdom. No pride, no fear. Nothing's going to get in the way of my kingdom. I'm going to Calvary because I love a world that's lost. Nothing's going to get in the way. And then he says something that is so important. It's actually the first step in getting anywhere with God. And it's probably the least preached step that there is in all of the Word of God. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, if any man, if I understand that word any, that means everyone in this building, everyone outside of this building, every disciple, every apostle, it means all of us. He said, if any man will follow after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. If any man that's young or old, all of these wonderful young people in the congregation today, if any man, you're living in a horrible time. The enemy has disturbed and destroyed sanity. You're living in a world that's being driven by insanity today. I'm not going to dwell on that long, but you're living in a world that is insane. When they glorify the mental instability of a person trying to decide whether they're male or female. We're living in an insane world. And in saying that, I would say that that we, we need to get a hold of God. After the Mount Transformation, after Peter, James, and John had come off of the mountain with Jesus, and there was a child possessed of a devil, and his disciples were unable to cast it out, and Jesus did, and someone questioned him about it, and 
He said, this kind only comes out through fasting and prayer. Just a few verses later, we find out why they were having difficulties. Because instead of being concerned about spiritual anointing and power, they were concerned about position and recognition. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? What's our pecking order? Who's going to sit beside you? Where are we going to be in, in, in that great day? No wonder they couldn't cast out devils because they had the wrong focus. They were looking inward, not outward. Never will we be successful until we have changed our view from here to there. Who cares about a little boy that's foaming at the mouth and trying to destroy himself because of demonic possession? When they're worried about position, it's time to look out there and see who God has targeted. It's time to get our eyes in the right place, our hearts in the right place, our attitudes in the right place. Glory to God. You may be seated. To our precious young people. You know, I find it kind of interesting. I, at times, I have been able to connect with young people in ministry, and it always makes me feel good. And I couldn't tell you why. All I can tell you is that I love young people. I've watched young people get engaged in the kingdom of God, and I've seen what powerful forces they can be. And I watch young men and women laying before God in prayer and seeking God with all of their hearts. And my heart swells with gratitude to see what God is doing. But in spite of this insane world we're living in today, God can raise you up. You've got to get your eyes off of yourself. You've got to get rid of that woe is me attitude and spirit. You've got to understand that you have been redeemed. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. God has put you in a position to escape all of the damaging attitudes and things that are taking place in the world today. God has put you in a wonderful place. And you know, the Bible said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. In other words, you can't think this thing through. You don't have the mental capacity to find the answers to the problems that are assailing men today. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God has equipped you. It doesn't matter what your age is. God has equipped you to do a work for Him in this day. The very first and greatest step you can take is self-denial. Quit thinking about self. Quit worrying about what you don't have, what you can't do, where you can't go, who you can't 
Glory to God. Start thinking about what God's done for you. Think about how you feel when you spend that hour in prayer and your heart is broken and melted before God and you're opening your heart to God's vision and God's will in your life. You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed to be raised and growing up in apostolic churches. You may be seated. There's really no limit to what you can do in God. The problem is sometimes we look at the wrong things to measure success. Success really is caring about the things that God cares about. Following Him. Denying yourself. Taking up the cross to follow Him. So that day, Jesus rebuked Peter and then later after the resurrection, He's talking to him. And He said, Peter, when you were young, you controlled your life. You went where you wanted to go. You did what you wanted to do. But when you get older, someone else is going to bind you and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. You won't have control. This, he said, speaking of Peter's death, Peter looked around and saw John over there. He said, well, what about John? And Jesus said, that's none of your business. If I want to let John live until I come back again, that's my choice. This is where your path's going to lead you. This is where you're going to go, and this is where you're going to be successful. Don't worry about John or anybody else. You see, it's all individual. We're not all walking the same path in life. We're not all dealing with the same individuals, but we're all dealing with the same gospel and the same effective ministry that changes lives. In 1 Corinthians, Paul was evidently trying to justify himself in his ministry to the church there. And he is talking about being supported by the ministry, the church taking care of, the, the ministry and he actually in that chapter he he legitimizes pastoral and ministerial support and legitimizes it in a very strong way and he said that that the Bible said that you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn then he goes on to say do you think he was talking about oxen that he really cared about it he said our talking about men. In other words, that we have the right to live by the ministry if that's the way that, that it, it works. We have that right. He justifies that position. But here's the point that I want to make. Paul said, are Barnabas and I the only ones that do what we're doing? Are we the only ones that have this kind of vision that that causes us to 
minister and make decisions in life that, that are different than the normal life? Are we the only ones? Don't we have the ability to live off of the church? Now you have to understand that, that it must have been a real difficult time building a church in Corinth. And no, no telling we'd have a hard time understanding what all they faced. But I was reading that the other day and I had been praying and I was reading this passage of Scripture. And all of a sudden, I felt like God spoke to my heart an inspiration regarding this portion of Scripture. Even though Paul justified their right to do certain things, in other places, he had talked about being shipwrecked and beaten. He had talked about false brethren. He had talked about hardships. He had talked about difficulties they had faced in spreading the gospel. And I hesitate even to use it because the term seems a little bit crude, but while I was contemplating this passage of scripture and prayer, the words just jumped out at me as though they were almost audible. That when you're involved in the work of the kingdom and you're reaching for souls, when you're targeting those miserable, hurting, lost people, you just do what you got to do. You just do what you got to do. In other words, if life gets uncomfortable, it's just going to get uncomfortable. You just got to do what you've got to do for the gospel's sake. You've got to reach for people. You know, sometimes when you reach for those who are hurting the most, you bring to yourself misery and, and heartache and so forth because they bring a big load of guilt and sorrow and failure. But once God gets a hold of them, if you can get them to surrender their hearts to God, well, you know, there's some of you sitting here today that know what I'm talking about because that's the life you came from. If I wanted to spark revival in my community, I'd first of all pray and fast. I'd ask God for help. And then I'd go out looking for hurting and needing souls. I'd start a bus ministry, van ministry. I'd do anything that I could to reach out to those that are lost because these are the ones that were targeted. If you don't believe that, read the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, beginning with verse 18, where Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He hath anointed me. And He tells who this is the target that God painted on a world that's lost. If we're willing to submit our hearts, if we're willing to get our attitudes right, if we're willing to allow God to lead us, the old song says, where he leads me, I will follow.
I'll go with him all the way. I wish I knew how to say this today, to say it to impact your heart. This building, this church didn't just happen. It just didn't one day spring up with all these wonderful people sitting here. But as I understand it, your dad would go through communities at times appealing to children. It started with a man who had a burden for children, if I understand it right. And because he had that burden, because he was willing to target those that Jesus had targeted. Look at what we have here today. Some people walk in and look at this building and they say, that must be wonderful. You really need to see the beginning of it to understand where God brought this church to, where He brought it from, and how He directed it. I'm going to ask you to stand once again, if you will. I wonder if you would once again lift your hands to God and open your heart to God. And would you just say, God, where you lead me, I'll follow. I want you to direct my steps. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel a move of the Holy Ghost in this house today. The Holy Ghost has spoken to us through Brother Shoemake. God, help us today. Amen. Would you let his presence touch you for a few minutes here together before we leave? And would you get a brand new vision for this thing and say, God, amen, I want to reach those that are hurting today. Oh, God, those that are in need will join with me together. Reach over and join with someone all across this house. If it's appropriate, join up with someone next to you right now. And let's ask God for a refresh, new vision, new burden for his kingdom, for his work, for souls. Oh, God, we believe you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, speak to our hearts today, God. Touch us in this house, we pray, O oh Lord. Let us remember the pit that you dug us from. Oh God, there's hurting. Come on, travailers. Woo, come on. Come on, let it out. Oh, yes, God. Where he leads, oh, yes, God. I will follow. Come on, talk to him right now, travailers. Where in the name of Jesus. 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 Oh, yes, God. Are you willing to follow him today? Come on, lift your hands and tell him, yes, Lord. All over this house, up in the balcony, across the mezzanine today. Boom. Oh, where he leads me. I will follow. 
down this way, men of God. Come on, all the men of God. Would you come out and come across the front here? the Holy Ghost we feel in this house. Thank you, Brother Shoemake, preaching to us the word of the Lord. I think about ministry. The scripture teaches us it's diverse. Not all members of the body do the same thing. I remember years ago when we started 
getting serious about turning God's house into a house of prayer. People took off with a burden. You can't pray and not get a burden to do something in God's kingdom. A sure sign when you're not doing anything in the kingdom, that's a sure sign you're not praying. Because you cannot pray and not feel a burden for this lost and dying world. You can't enjoy the treasures of the Holy Ghost and not want to share it with somebody else. And I thank God we got serious about prayer. We turned it into a house of prayer. You know what happened? There's people going to jails and prisons here today out of this church that I don't even know about. Rest homes and witnessing. Brother Baxter's a minister here in our church. Been here for many years. Faithful, submissive. I just asked him, I didn't realize it, but three times a week he goes to the prison and preaches this glorious gospel. One of the prisons is about 70 miles away. Cummins Prison. Amen. Anytime he's ever invited to preach, he texts me, Do you, is it all right? Should I go? Amen. Thank God. We don't all have the same calling, but we've all got a calling. We've all got a calling. We all, got a, we all have a calling. Help us, God. Help us, God. I want us to pray. Somebody said we need an evangelistic team. No, we need the whole church on the evangelistic team. <laughs> Brother Lackey, we were just the other day in San Jose, California. Brother Von Morton said something at the end of the service so powerful. He said, I've traveled over a hundred of your churches. He said, standards, they look good. There may be a little difference here and there. Doctrine, we're strong. But he said, there's two places we're missing it. Prayer and evangelism. Prayer. Is that not what he said? Prayer and evangelism. Come on, let's pray right now. Oh, God, reach over and join with someone again together. Ministers, join up. Link up. Come on. Oh, God. Give us prayer and evangelism, God. Oh, Come on, travailers. Come on, travailers. Come on, somebody cry out to him right now all over this house. Oh, God. I want to be what you want me to be. Oh, God. Lord. Brothers, why don't you turn around and find another brother. Sisters, turn around and find another sister. Pray together all over the house. Let's make it one big prayer meet together. Let's make it one big prayer meet together. Let's pray with
feel the Holy Ghost so close here today. Oh, bless that wonderful name of the Lord. We magnify you, God. We worship you. Oh, yes, God. Some power. Thank you, Brother Shoemaker, for obeying the Holy Ghost today. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're so honored to have all of our guests here today. Thank you, ministers. So many of you left your church to be here to hear these great men of God. I want to tell you, I don't feel one bit sorry for you. What we've heard today is worth your time and effort. Amen. Thank the Lord. 